0: Hey y'all, welcome back. This is Videotic. My name is Sean. My name is Joe. And uh, since it is the month of October, the month of Halloween and, you know, Satan worshipping, you know, villain glorification, violence and gore and all that evil stuff that goes on in October, we decided we'd play along and uh, we're going to be going over some villains today. Now, before we get started, it's the it's the debate that comes up. Every October to December, the whole world gathers in to discuss and debate, argue, fight about whether or not *The Nightmare Before Christmas is a, is a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie. And I haven't seen it, so I can't weigh in. And so I'll just put it to you, Joe. What, what is your take, Halloween or Christmas movie? Wow, you really just want to lump that all on me, huh? Yep, yep. It's all, it's all on you. I see, I see. Uh, we will, we will be leaving a hotline for anyone traumatized by Joe's answer. You can call nine nine nine. We do dot com.
1: And if that one doesn't work, just pull out um AOL. We'll, we'll get back to you eventually. Yep. Just gotta wait for the. Oh gosh, that I wonder how many people even know what that is. <laughs> And uh, how many people are sitting there traumatized now with a look on their face on, like, the thousand-yard stare, like, the dark ages? Mm-hmm. Mm. You know what? No, 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 no. I, you, tell, you know what? No, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dropping this right now, man. You cannot just drop that on my shoulders right here, all on a big choice. Well, we can, we can debate that later. You have to, Drew. The people need to know. No, they can decide for themselves. You can decide if the movie starts with a blatant song, which it does, which is a thing called This is Halloween. Or you can just think, oh, well, maybe it's more for the Christmassy parts because it's half and half. But you know what? The, mo- the movie's pretty split half and half to Halloween and Christmas. It really is. So it's like, you know what? It, I... Let me ask
0: you this. Is it actually a good movie?
1: It is definitely a um entertaining movie. I wouldn't go so far as to call it a masterpiece or anything. And the classic side of it where some people say, oh, I think it's a holiday classic. I'm like... I'm a little bit more like, I think it's a classic to people who really enjoyed it when it first came out, because it's definitely kind of an odd, well, an oddity. Hmm. I personally am quite biased towards it, though, so I don't think I'm fair to call it, because you know me and stop-motion animation, how much I love it, so of course I I own it, and I've watched it, and I love it for its stop-motion and stuff, and I love, uh, I like a lot of properties of, or stories that are conceived by Tim Burton. Which I do want to point out right here, uh, people, the title, and when it says Tim Burton's Nightmare on, or I was going to say Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. He wrote the poem that it's based off of. He actually composed this poem talking about the fact of seeing in the month of October, you'll see Christmas decorations being put up and things being sold and everything. And it was meant to be like pointing out that discrepancy, saying, like, hey, we're not even through with November yet, even. And you guys are already putting out this stuff. And he was thinking about seeing it together. So he actually wrote a poem kind of about this, like, idea. And that was converted into a story. Which was, you know, utilized and actually directed by a man named Henry Selleck. So I'm just clarifying that for anyone who doesn't know. Tim Burton didn't direct it. I believe he did produce it. He came up with the core idea. It's definitely got his style all over it. But he didn't direct it. That's a common misconception.
0: I was just under the assumption he did
1: yeah see that's that's why i was pointing out because it, it says it like everywhere you see it, it says tim burton's nightmare before christmas <laughs> and i always thought that too i was like oh this is a burton film then because you know like oh it's kind of style it even looks like the thing he loves the style he draws in.
0: yeah it looks just everything. like a tim burton film
1: yeah that's what i was clarifying because i'm like he actually wrote this poem years ago about it and then that was what was the inspiration that he kind of thought oh this could maybe be a film and then he like you know approached uh disney at the time and then Disney didn't want to produce it under their name because they were like, this is just kind of dark enough and strange enough that we don't know if we can market it to kids as we're known for. So they put it under one of their other productions companies. I think it was like Turner or something like that at the time. Or no, Touchstone. It was Touchstone Entertainment, which was their production company that put out more like PG-13 and R-rated films, but they could still, but they owned it. So they did it with that one because they're like, we're not totally sure if we can know that. But then, of course, as the years went on, Disney proudly now claims it under the Disney label. (laughs) And you know what? Yeah, I've I've heard people debate that over and over, though. They really are some heated debates as to where they watch it. Me, I'm like, you can just treat it as a movie and watch it in both. But you know what? I don't know. I'm not going to decide, man. No, you cannot push that on me.
0: This is the movie with the boogeyman, right?
1: Boogie Boogie boogeyman. Yeah. Is that right? Yes, indeed. Okay. Hmm. It, uh, tell you what, in all honesty, you could watch it sometime because I believe, I think it's on Disney Plus as well. You should watch it sometime and then maybe sometime in the future you and I will debate whether it belongs in one or the other. How about that?
0: I don't know. I actually, I, I almost consider a point of pride that I haven't, <laughs> just so it's like people talk about it and I'm like, I, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair. That's fair. It is on my list to watch, though, just because it's in like zeitgeist enough. It's not like the, the most crazy popular movie, but like you said, among, among people that sort of like that claymation style of movie, obviously everyone in that genre has seen it. So, And I, I consider myself a fan of that style, so I'm definitely going to have to watch it at some point. I can only avoid it for so long. <laughs>
1: Now that you've let that be known, you're just going to hear that chanting from random crowds. You go out to shop somewhere, you'll just hear people like catch them starting to stare at you because they just somehow know you haven't watched it. And you'll just hear that quiet chanting quietly growing louder over weeks and weeks of torture and torment of this is Halloween. This is Halloween, <laughs> Halloween, 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 Halloween. Well, they're going they to in a cold sweat. loud
0: because it'll probably just blend in with whatever I'm thinking about anyways. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just, I mean, as, I'm just constantly it's...
0: singing in my own head.
1: I know you, that you can tune it out pretty effectively. Mm. And just be like, oh, excuse me, were you talking to me? Mm-hmm. What's, that? Yeah, what's that? What's that? That's why you would never make the good subject of a horror film. Because someone's slowly getting, like, tormented over years of, like, either, oh. like, a possession <laughs> movie or something. You're just completely oblivious to it. Just be like, oh, what? Someone say something?
0: Yeah, I'm, get- I'm getting haunted and I don't know it.
1: <laughs> you drive the spirit crazy that's trying to, like, haunt you.
0: That has to be a movie already, right?
1: I'm pretty sure Disney did a parody or two. Like, I've seen a few shorts they did that had, like, these ghosts trying to hunt something in, like, the, the main cast. Usually played by, like, characters like Donald or Goofy and Mickey, stuff like that. And they'll be, like, oblivious to it. And the ghosts are just going, yeah. like, oh, come on! I mean, they
0: could technically be Home Alone, right? Of course, I guess he's aware of it.
1: Uh, well, Home Alone, yeah, that's more so just, like, the kid's defending himself using all those means and stuff. And the guys are more bumbling. Mm-hmm. But, you know... I know what your point was saying earlier about the whole, well, I was going to say ho- holiday season, but I'll say Halloween season. Because I know some people debate it, and they're like, oh, Halloween is not a holiday. I don't consider it a holiday, yada, yada. And I'm like, you know, that's more personal preference, I'd say. I'll be honest, folks. I never really celebrated it when I was a kid. In terms of Halloween, the,
0: like, the holiday itself. Yeah, like some people.
1: About oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Some people don't consider it a holiday. Some do. And I'm like, it's it's kind of up for, you know, personal preference at that point. If I never really celebrated me... it when I was a kid, but we did the thing where we, I learned quickly when I was younger. November comes, all that candy gets discounted in your stores. So you can, you can get some chocolate yeah. deals out of that. Exactly.
0: If it gets me a bucket of candy, it's a holiday. That's yeah. end of story. Exactly. Reason to celebrate.
1: I will have my diabetes after the holiday.
0: That is correct. Well, that being down, uh, well, before we get into it, have you seen anything fun recently that you just have to shout out? Any trailers you're looking forward to off the top?
1: Nothing really is, like, calling out to me yet. I will say one uh, thing I am going to watch. I might even watch it sometime this upcoming week if I have time. It's a It's kind of a special. I don't know if you've seen the um, trailers for it, but it's on Disney+. Plus. It's that Halloween holiday special called Werewolf by Night. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It it sounds fun because it's like an homage. It's black and white. It's like almost all practical effects, even looking kind of cheap, like on purpose, to be an homage to when they didn't have CG and everything. Uh, Like, this isn't a huge thing for me, but it's like, I'm intrigued. They said it's kind of like, quote-unquote, gory, in that it's like, you know, a lot of fake, you know, red blood and stuff, or like you can tell there's a lot of stuff going on. And I'm intrigued because it's actually directed by... uh, I think his man, name is Michael Giacchino, or Giacchino, which is weird to me because I learned that name and I went, is that the name of the man who's a composer? And lo and behold, it's the same guy, if I remember uh, correctly. like He's never directed anything before. He is a composer. And <laughs> somehow, he got this part. Give me a second. Let's see. I'm just pulling up his name. Yeah, like, he, he's a composer. And I was just like, really? Because I remember thinking, oh, this is the guy. I've seen his name pop up on a lot of stuff like Disney and stuff. And I was like, oh, I wonder. And I look like at composer. Like, I'm pulling up composing credits right here. I just want to shout him out for a lot of well-known ones. Uh, the Spider-Man, Sony, MCU films. He composed all three of those. So, like, Spider-Man, uh, Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. Oh, wow. He did the soundtrack for those. He did the soundtrack for The Batman. You know, the uh, Robert Pattinson, as we call him. That film, he did the score for that. Did the uh, score for Incredibles and Incredibles 2. Now,
0: those have really Uh, good soundtrack. Like, obviously, I love The Batman, but Incredibles soundtrack is
1: great. This one would get you... I don't know if he did all three. Uh, I'm looking. Okay, I see two. Did he do three? I see two. Okay, maybe just the two, but I don't... I might just be missing it by scrolling through but it looks like he did Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and uh, War for the Planet of the Apes huh. soundtracks I think if I remember correctly did he do thing for forget me this is something that I was like um the Pixar movie Up so everyone knows the sad music and the thing that da 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 you know that thing ah uh, yeah This guy, and if you just, people just look up his credits of just music alone. He's done video games, he's done movies for years. So the fact that he gets to do a directing credit is weird to me. Like, and he's done, it says right here, he's done, like, two shorts before for TV. So this is, like, his first, like, special that's more, like, over an hour long. And I'm just like, that's so strange. I mean, the man's obviously talented and has a great... Uh, Resume And I love his scores that I've listened to thus far, especially in recent years. But I'm like, wow, that's just incredible. So I'm very curious to see how he does. And by all accounts and reviews, people saying it's a very fun special.
0: So is Werewolf by Night a
1: TV show or a movie? Uh, It's like a TV movie. A TV movie. Yeah, like I mean, it's on Disney Plus and things, but it's treated as like a television movie, like when people would tune in just to see a special. So it Wait. it's like over an hour long, but it's not too long.
0: Oh, okay. So it's it's all in one there's mm-hmm. not an
1: Yeah, no, it, it is not episodic, I believe. It's just it's I got a you. one it's a one and done. And it is I'm remembering
0: character. I'm remembering that like
1: seeing the banner for
0: it and it having Marvel written
1: on it. Is it in the MCU? I don't know if it's in the MCU in particular. It is technically with a Marvel character though. It's a based on a um uh, like a comic of the same name from like the uh, 70s and 80s, I believe it's called Werewolf by Night. And it's basically they're, they're, they had a character named Jack Russell. And he was basically a man who was a werewolf by some mm-hmm. more conventional means. And it was just kind of like, it's about him, more or so, less and, and his curse, I believe. So going on from that legend. I'm and, this. Some people said something about it loosely, maybe being like connected and, and referenced later in the MCU. But I don't know. I'm intrigued by all the things I just mentioned. I will not go over them again because it's a. I, I want us to uh. rabbit trail too much on this. But I, I really am intrigued and in, in looking forward to seeing that because of all those things, especially like I said, Michael Giacchino being a great composer. And I'm like, huh, a composer getting to do a directing credit. Interesting.
0: Apparently, it is in the MCU.
1: Ah, okay.
0: It might be one of those things where, like, it technically is and they barely mention it. And then it's kind of like, oh, yeah, technically it is, but it's n- it never really comes up. I don't know. Oh. We'll see. Or I'm just watching it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say. Or maybe it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yes, it's just going to be supplemental. And then, you know, Doctor Strange 3 comes around and it's going to be essential <laughs> to the plot. <laughs> Ooh, bird! <burn>. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. You don't need to see it. I'm a
0: villain now. Well, speaking of villains, uh, our topic for this week is, in fact, villainy. Villainousness and villain doing people. I don't know another word for that. Anyways, specifically Disney villains. And we didn't specify, but I think we picked all animated Disney movies. Am I right?
1: Yeah, I'd say we were kind of focusing on the animated films and because, I mean, there's a lot of them, folks. There really is. And we, even if we just chose one or the other, you're looking at a whole bunch of them. So we're just kind of we kind of just talked about it and we discussed and thought, hey, you know, what? let's pick out some of the ones we remember. And in particular, I uh, I think I forwarded it to you, Sean. I was like, let's let's try to think about ones that kind of stood out to us when we were younger or ones that even now we can go back and see or just kind of think, wow, that was really you know, that mm-hmm. character's motivations or something, you know, just I, I still remember, you know, maybe I only watched the film once. Maybe I've watched it many times, but I still kill it still gets me every time it still gives me chills or it still I, I remember it distinctly. So we pulled out a few.
0: And I have to say, when I was going through them, I feel as though I picked out a few that maybe don't come up as often because, you know there's thousands and thousands of videos and people who are like, top 10 Disney villains. And they all have like the same, you know, they all have the same 10 villains because Disney is a monster in, you know, the culture, Hollywood, all that. These movies are all pretty popular and the same villains kind of get repeated over and over, I guess. And we're definitely going to repeat a couple of those, but I think I do have a few that are kind of, you want to immediately think of them, I think. We'll see. You can let me know afterwards.
1: That is correct. I, I know I picked one in particular that I was like, I never see this villain mentioned, and I want to just shout it out because of how truly despicable and dark they really are. And I'm like, everyone else seems to focus on the villains that are like, oh, it's a villain in a Disney animated film, but it's still kind of lighthearted and everything, you know? yeah And I'm like, there's some villains in there that are like, if this, was a, if this was a live action film and you had the same motivation, this would be PG-13 to R. This is, oh, yeah. this is dark.
0: I think it's because people watch it when they're kids and then they forget and they never go back and rewatch it. Because, you know, new movies coming out all the time. Disney's obviously pumping out movie after movie after movie. Uh, you know, good on them. Go make some money. Uh, but people get caught up in watching all the new movies. They forget to go back to their, their old favorites or just the older ones that maybe they didn't or weren't able to appreciate as much with age. So that's a couple of mine where it's like, if you go back and rewatch this, it's got a really profound story and villain that you just didn't realize at the time. Or maybe you did, and you just forgot about it because you were a kid.
1: Or maybe it truly was actually quite chilling, and maybe you had a realization of it, so you blocked it out in the corners of your mind <laughs> and the dark recesses, but now we're going to bring it forward and trigger something inside your psyche. So for that, we say we cannot really apologize because we cannot handle all that legality involved.
0: Yep, that's on you for listening to us. Yes. Uh, do you want to start us off?
1: Sure, I can, I can do that if you'd like. Go for it. So I'm going to start with one, like, like I just mentioned. This villain to me was... Uh, I remember watching the movie when I was younger and thinking, even as a kid, I was fairly young. And I remember thinking, this movie is actually quite a dark film. Like overall, and I still hold that opinion to this day because it is, I am talking about a Disney film released in 1977. It was, uh, kind of in that period for Disney, I remember correctly, that wasn't really, they weren't really cranking out what we'd consider like huge hits like they were, uh, from previous years. And then sometimes, and it would take them about a decade after this film I'm talking about to get back into what we call like their Disney renaissance. Because there was that period in the 70s and 80s where they were just hitting, like, they would release these films and they'd get mid-reviews and and they'd go up against other films and actually lose out to them in terms of, like, box office and things like that. This was one of them. This one is kind of more in recent years, and well, not recent years, but in years, it's grown more popular and some more cult uh, cult followings and stuff that talk about watching it. And uh, this is uh, The Rescuers. I don't know if anyone out there is familiar with watching this movie. I think, Sean, you said you watched it before and you know it. Oh, yeah. It, it's definitely one of the darker ones. Like, just overall, the whole film has kind of a more sinister and menacing atmosphere. Like, the score, I, I remember the score because there's a lot of like jump scare esque moments in the score that's meant to make you jump. And it still kind of gets me sometimes because obviously be they're like, yeah, this slow panning, the ambient noises, the score. The, the art style is, like, very dark and dank for most of it because it's trying to show this horrible setting. And to anyone out there who who does know and just been a while or maybe you haven't really seen it because you just never liked it or, like, you know, maybe you never, just never appealed to you, it, it's, I believe it's based on a series of books at the time, loosely or something like that, as its reference. And so there's just, like, two mice that belong to this uh, animal society called like the rescue aid society throughout years they've always been with aligned with like humans and stuff and helped out wherever they could so it's kind of got a disney charm to it with like light songs and a little love interest thing going on with two of them but they go out to help this one orphan girl who was adopted and then basically held hostage in like a an old derelict boat in louisiana or something like that i think they mentioned the swamps of louisiana something like that and she's being held hostage because this, this like woman owns like a pawn shop. Their name is Medusa. And this is the villain I'm talking about. She literally mentioned that she went to adopt a kid that was small enough to put her in this cave, this hole in the ground, to get a pirate treasure that was down there from pirate days. There's a scene in there that sticks out in my mind. The mice go and get her, and they're, they're there with her for a bit before because they're, they're trying to formulate ways to get out of there to escape. And that's already kind of dark to say, but this Medusa character is dark. Like, I'm surprised I don't see her mentioned on other outlets and stuff, and I guess I'm not too surprised because I know it's probably because of how dark she is and how more real the darkness kind of goes with it. But she has a scene where she puts the girl's name is uh, Penny into the hole, like feeds her down on a rope line with a bucket or something, down into this hole in the cave, where there is actually a hole that feeds into, like, the ocean, so when the tide comes in, that cave fills up with water. So there's this perilous scene where they're trying to get the giant, it's like a diamond the size of about a baseball, so I think just, you know, kind of, just how amazing that is already, but that's why she wants it, because she's like, that thing is worth millions, and it's just like, you know, she's trying to pry it out of this, like, it's trapped underneath some skeletons which the skeletons are creepy enough too because it's pirate skeletons and then the tide starts coming in and the music swells and everything and they're starting to rush and hurry and she runs back to the rope and goes like please the water's coming up pull me out please like I can come back later and get it for you and Medusa just without a trace looks down on her and just screams not until you fetch me that diamond and it's in that scene that you get this like feel of she's about to let a kid be killed to get what she wants i'm gonna just let that sink in for a second not to be too dark on this podcast or anything but i'm like that that's probably the most heinous villain thing for a child media i've ever seen personally and i'm like wow she's probably one of the worst
0: yeah it is kind of funny um because it's It's funny excuse me <laughs> not that. That's not funny. <laughs> um, but the contrast between a lot of villains, you know, especially modern villains, where it's kind of, I feel like they kind of lightened up a little bit, you know? Uh, like, ooh, my villains are my powers to create ice. You know? <laughs> it's like. And then you go back to OG Disney, and, you know, because that, that's a very real life villain mentioned before, I loved that movie, and, and I kind of bought into this theory that, um, you know, because you've got this society of small animals and mice and rodents that go around and they they protect these kids, you know, these orphans that are being abused or whatever, and the second Rescues movie is the same type of thing, and I kind of bought into this theory that Penny, the child, the little girl, is actually just, she has imaginary mice friends that are helping her, and it's kind of like a psychological thing that she uses to get through a rough time. It's a very interesting theory, if you watch the movie again with that kind of in mind, that she just kind of has this, uh, not hallucination, but this mental help going on like that. It's kind of interesting, because they're mice, and so you can kind of write them out of it in in the sense that she could be imagining them. Anyways, it's fun if you go back and watch it like that. But the villain in the situation is just scarier because it's very real. You know, that situation could actually happen real life, real kid. You know, people do take in foster kids and orphans all the time just to get money from the government. It's just a sad reality of the world we live in. And yeah, the, the realness of it makes it that much more horrifying.
1: Yeah, you know, that's what no that's what gets me. Force. It's just human evil. That's what gets me cuz I'm like I think I can't really watch that film the same even now like if I ever like w- would watch it just cuz I'm like to me that is where I think it's kind of like I think to some people even they they almost were like you kind of almost crossed that line, you know? Where you're like you're trying to tackle something but you're still it's a little imbalanced to try to do something but you know to to, to balance all the real with a Disney style that, you know, and th- this film is rated G. And even I'm like, man, you should at least bump that to PG. That's still pretty, like, I wouldn't just put this on for a kid and walk off, be like, okay, enjoy this movie. I'm going to come back well, to that there's... kid sitting in the corner scribbling dark thoughts on the, on the wall, like, you know,
2: like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> make that yeah, kid this... a nervous
0: wreck. This was back in the day where the rating system wasn't uh, quite as stringent as it is nowadays.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's true. Actually, if I remember correctly, it was um. so this film was in 77 and there was no PG, I believe, until like the 80s, if I remember correctly, like just parental guidance and not just G because there was just G and like R. Yeah, because
0: back then there wasn't even a PG-13.
1: Yeah, there basically was just uh, kids and not for kids so it's just like you know disney almost always was like for kids check that off we're good i believe it wasn't even until like pg didn't come around to like almost a decade because it was in 1985 i believe when disney made another dark film that actually warranted the pg rating which was the black cauldron Mm -hmm. and that's just dark as in like scare your kids dark this one is dark as in the we're talking about rescuers being you know more real dark so but that's why Medusa's on my list because I'm just like she's dark as in it's more realistic, and it's just scary. Plus, didn't she have like pet alligators, two of them? Yeah, named <laughs> Nero, Nero and Brutus. Which adults watching would know those are like the worst Roman emperors ever. Mm-hmm. At least I'm not sure about Brutus, but Nero's the one who murdered like a bunch of Christians, burned Rome down, like tortured a bunch of uh, Christian believers, things like that in his tenure. It was it was. Yeah, and it's just like, good gracious.
0: Yeah. Florida, man. Or where was it? New Orleans? I think it was in New Orleans.
1: I think, I don't remember where they actually said it, if it was in like Louisiana or anything like that. I just remember it was a swamp area, and there was a bunch of southern-speaking ones with like some accents, so I couldn't tell.
0: I want to say it was
1: in New Orleans, but who knows? I, I want to say Louisiana, but I'm not sure. Isn't New Orleans in Louisiana? Yes. Oh okay. Well, I'm just saying here I don't know if it was specific <laughs> I don't remember if it was specifically New Orleans, that's why I'm saying I'm just saying Louisiana. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm covering my uh, bases here.
0: I w- I was questioning myself. I was like, "Wait a minute." Ah. Uh, cool.
1: Yeah.
0: The second movie is really good as well. The second rescuers.
1: Oh yeah, they, very it's good. more it's more lighthearted. It still deals with like a kid kidnapped actually. This time he actually was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. But it's like he cuz he actually had a mom. He goes out one day and like doesn't come back home. So, authorities are like, oh man, we got to find this kid. And they're, thinking, they're like, oh no, this kid's been kidnapped by a poacher trying to capture a rare a rare eagle, I think it was. Yes. A golden eagle, they said, which I got to be honest, folks, that thing is huge. If we had oh, eagles yeah. that size nowadays, we would, you, you know, it wouldn't be going outside there. That's just another reason to fear Australia.
0: Australia, man. Crazy.
1: Australia. Spiders as big as a dinner plate, and that's just a house spider. Yeah. And you got those the are eagles, the, nice the size spiders. of a mountain. The Huntsman yeah.
0: Spiders, if you talk <laughs> yeah. to an Australian about them, they're like, oh, they're all right. They ain't going to hit you. That thing could beat me in an arm wrestling contest.
1: Meanwhile, you're over there being dragged away. about to get mugged by a spider. You're like, ah! <laughs> just play and dead, just mate. will like, be fine. Like, just go along. There's no fighting it. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> like You've got spiders the size of dinner plates, and the eagle's the size of, like, a two-ton truck.
0: Yeah. Uh, of course, we would bring up Australia in the... Uh, <laughs> In the Disney Villains episode,
1: <laughs> <laughs> just
0: Australia. <laughs> yep.
1: If anyone listening in Australia, by the way, we're not making fun of you. We're we're laughing with you. I am. If anything?
0: Come on, come get me. Swim okay, all Sean, the way over Sean here. <laughs> yeah. I love Australia. I mean, I say that as somebody who's never been there, but exactly. So mine, I'm I'm going to start with my most mainstream one, just because it's Mother Gothel from Tangled. I think is definitely my favorite, but probably the best modern Disney villain. Definitely, yeah, I can't think of another, you know, modern era Disney movie that even competes in any way with Mother Gothel, just as a as a good villain. She is, you know, manipulative, conniving. She's smart. You know, she gets in. Uh, this is from Tangled, by the way, if some of y'all need to gosh he
1: is. Mm, shame
0: shame oh yeah she gets in rapunzel's head and everything and just a great great villain figure and it, it's even kind of like a, a metaphor for the way some real life mothers are yeah fantastic writing in that movie all the way around good song good villain song Oh, yeah. I actually... say, her,
1: her villain song is fantastic, too, because it's equal parts to me. That's the line that they have to tread to be like dark, but dark enough, you know, without crossing the line because mm-hmm. it's very sinister.
0: Well, yeah, because her villain song isn't like an over the top. I'm a bad guy. It's actually it's like almost a bonding moment between mother and daughter. It's, it's a villain song disguised as a bonding moment and almost a loving song almost which is really, they played that off really, really well. You've seen
1: that movie, right? Oh, most definitely. Okay. I, <laughs> I actually went with my uh, sister and younger brother. We went as siblings to watch it in theaters. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have a somewhat controversial opinion about that movie. I like it way more than Frozen. I know. Oh, but yeah, I, I think it's better. Sorry. Fro- it's also Frozen? got some more, to me, it's got another part that I really like about it. It's got uh, Zachary Levi, who is just hilarious. Yeah. So. But I mean, yeah, like motivations all around. I think we're great. It's got some good humor. It, and I agree. Mother Gothel is, to me, I think she's like an underrated Disney villain. Oh, in very. many regards.
0: Yeah, like people. Uh, Frozen is a good movie. I think you know it's 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 a, it's a decent movie. I like it. I think it is very overrated, and I think it is insane that people would put it above tangled just my opinion maybe some cranky old fogies out there agree with me if so cheers but yeah tangled is definitely the superior movie in my opinion that's where i'll leave it mother gothel definitely like you said underrated villain yeah great story in that movie
1: yeah and like like we had mentioned i think her villain song is one of the best as well for Mm -hmm. motivations and stuff laid out for you And there's so many good arcs to the character. Like anyone who's seen the movie knows that when she says like I love you most, she always kisses Rapunzel's head as in her hair. Yeah. She never addresses her face. There's like little things where she does things like that. There's all these like bits that like they all the animators did a good job. I'll say that. The the framing and everything, they really showed a good job of like all this like things to it and show that she's not really she's not a good person at Mm -hmm. all. (laughs) And like, you know, it just showed it perfectly. And like I said, her song—we'll talk at length about villain songs later—but I will say her song is just really good as well. The mother knows best. So sinister, yet so like charming. So like a, uh, oh, what's the word? Un- unassuming in a way. Yeah. But, exactly. but if you really listen into it, you're like, huh.
0: When it's like one of those things where um, I think the quote is, uh, "The best lies always have a grain of truth in them." And uh, they really they really did that well in this movie with her because it's like, yeah, I mean, look, if, if you're a kid, it's not a bad philosophy to live by a mother knows best. You know, if you got, if you have a loving mother or a loving parent, that's a good thing. But it's when you take that good thing and then you twist it is what makes her such a great villain. Yeah, but yeah, like I said, that's that's my most mainstream one. Um, Even then, I don't see her on the top of a lot of people's lists. Uh, maybe there are more now that it's been a few years because that came out in
1: 2010.
0: So well. it's been that was over 10 years ago.
1: Oh my gosh! Why do we even do this, man? We keep looking at movie dates of like, oh yeah, that came out a win, and then we go, uh. yeah. Just every time we do an episode, I feel myself like my joints stiffening up, my my back hurts more. Everything.
0: That's, that's so wrong. I didn't. I read it before. I didn't even realize. I didn't even put it together. Uh, that <laughs> means ten years ago. Dang. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. What's yours? I don't want to think about this anymore. Give me the next. <laughs> give me the next one.
1: Well, uh, for me, my second choice for Disney villains that I think stand out. Again, it's more on the real side. So Medusa was on the real side of like kind of creepy as in like, oh, man, man, that's a real thing that we deal with. That's that's something, you know, that's kind of it's very dark. The second one is also very dark, unfortunately. Like, I'm not trying to be too serious and too heavy handed with my choices. It's just this one always stood out to me because I'm like, this is probably the most ballsy move I've ever seen. Like Disney Studios put out to adapt, first of all, an overly depressing story to make it like a Disney animated feature that got a full release, theaters and everything, big premiere, all that jazz, and then still focus on one of the aspects in the novel where its character, like the guy who's treated as the villain, that they kind of made more the more the antagonist for the movie. They focused in on a real thing that he dealt with. And uh, before I get too far, I'll say this is the Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. which if anyone has seen it, first of all, Great soundtrack. I want to just point out the soundtrack is great. And like a lot of the songs, I do love. Quasimodo's song, Out There, if anyone's heard that one, when he's just pining to go around, walk around the town. Love that song. It's got a huge orchestral finish and everything. I love that piece. And it's got some, you know, other lighthearted moments. It's got some good casting. Like, I really love who they got to play all the characters. But there is a character, and I'm talking about uh, Frollo, Claude Frollo, I believe his name is. It's uh, yeah, he he's uh he's the I oh, what is to see like arch a, minister, Pope arch something, something like arch bishop maybe I don't know something like that. He is some kind of position in the church I know, and at some standing. And he's even shown from the very beginning to be full of himself, but saying that he's doing God's work. So we already know he's 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 not a good person. Like because he he wipes he get sweeps it under the rug under this presumption of saying, I'm doing good work, I'm doing this, you know. I think he even does that whole, in the beginning piece, like the movie has a narration with how we know Quasimodo. His mother is running away from them, and he goes, ah, she must have stolen something. You know, they pursue her. He even knocks her down and kills her, like (laughs) with his horse or something. Takes the baby, takes the thing, and it turns out it's the baby, and he looks at it and then just says, it's hideous, it's disgusting. He's about to drop it down a well and kill it. Like the first thing you see in the movie. He literally looks over at the well and just kind of like holds it over and everything. And then the archbishop comes out in a scene that's like, stop! See what you've done. Like, look at this innocent blood you spilt. And he goes like, oh, I am guiltless. She ran. I pursued. And you're just like, dude, you are so full of it. <laughs> but then the guy even does that really good piece, which also is, um, he's only in there for like five minutes, but that archbishop is voiced by uh, David Ogden Stiers. And he's got such a good voice and singing voice. And he does this whole thing where he talks about Froehlund and he goes, you may may think you're good and all that, but the eyes of Notre Dame have seen what you've done. Meaning like, you know, he points out and says, God's seen what you've done and he'll never let you forget it. (laughs) So he, and only when he's faced with the threat of eternal damnation and condemnation from a God he claims to serve, only then is his selfish nature kicking in. He goes, well, then what must I do to atone? And I'm like, it took that to make him feel like, you know, bad for what he did. Not even feel bad, just to feel uh, scared. And then the guy tells, "Yeah, that's the thing. He never felt
0: regret. He just it was uh, it was what do you call it? It was just a trade off to you know avoid uh, punishment that he doesn't even think he deserves.
1: Exactly. And I'm like, he's shown shown to be very like selfish and self centered. Self righteous is the word I believe because he like he really believes, but like it's a skewed a skewing of that belief." Right? Where it's like, you know, there are people who believe it, but in, like, a sense of, you know, for actual morality and ethicality. He just fears for himself. And it's shown very well. Well, he takes Quasimodo, treats him like trash all through, you know, things. And then near the end, he basically claims he he falls for Esmeralda, the, the gypsy. And he hates gypsies. I remember that he considers them trash, like absolute trash and filth. And he goes, I would wipe them all out if I could. And in fact, that's his motivation. He's trying to actually kill them all, basically, which and is very
0: um, accurate to the time period.
1: That is true. That is true. And I believe that was a thing in the novel too. Like Frollo really did hate the gypsies and and their and uh, them there, and he really was just like, you know, I want to, I will wipe them out. I will not just kick them out. I will wipe them out because they are a godless people, and I will do God's work and kill them. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to tone it down there, buddy. but you know, again, he's got this skewed belief. And then what happens is he starts falling for the one Gypsy Esmeralda and he basically, there's this uh, song in there that many people have seen this. I have actually seen this on a bunch of lists of people say best villain songs and I agree because it's actually just expertly written. But first of all, it's in a Disney film. I just want to stress this again. It's a song called Hellfire. I mean, again, that's that's quite ballsy already, just the name. But then it's got the singing of it and in it he deals with the the issue of In all honesty, he's dealing with extreme feelings of lust and sexual tension and and skewed belief and and want and desires for Esmeralda. And he's laying it all out there in a villain song. And he even talks about like saying, I think the the crux of it is near the end when he basically says, uh, I'll quote some of the line of the song here near the end when he says, destroy Esmeralda and let her taste the fires of hell or else let her be mine and mine alone. And then he sings at the end of the hellfire, dark fire. Now, Gypsy, it's your turn. Choose me or your fire pyre. Be mine or you will burn. And you're like, well, dang. So he's laying it all out there saying, it's okay, I will drop everything if you say you'll run away with me and just be mine. But if not, then I'm gonna continue doing my self-righteous work and believe I'm you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna burn you at the stake under the pretense of I'm doing God's work. And you're like, I'm sorry, was this a, is this a is this a Disney animated film I'm watching? Is this a is this also rated G? What? <laughs> and it still gets me to this day. I'm like, it's probably the ballsiest villain and villain song in any like children's media I'd ever seen in my life. Well, and it's very
0: it's very philosophic, philosophically mature as well. Um, so, like, for example, if you look up that song on Spotify, uh, what you'll find is that there's another song paired with it because the song Heaven Light, Heaven's Light, and Hellfire are considered one piece. And Heaven's Light is the song that Quasimodo sings just before where he's talking about, you know, in in general terms, how unworthy he is to, I believe it's about Esmeralda, like see her or or be out there in the world and feel heaven's light on his unworthy face, and you got this really ugly creature singing about and pining for heaven and just a glimpse of that light, and then you flip right to, archdeacon, what's his title, archdeacon Frollo who is completely self-righteous, and the culture around him sees him as righteous, and yet he is, you know, staring into a burning fire, literally, in the scene. And, you know, figuratively, he's kind of looking at hellfire. And it's so it's very... And the whole movie is kind of based around that juxtaposition. And so it's very philosophically mature. You can watch it as an adult and, you know... Read things into it that you just didn't see before as a kid.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, that's one of the ones I remember, like, I didn't really watch that one much as a kid either because I was, I mean, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Heck, this, this movie was released in 1996. So this was kind of at the tail end of what people consider the Disney Renaissance, where it did pretty well, but it was still also like, moments like that, people took their kids to, think to see it, and then other people were just like, wow, they're really like, They actually adapted the book, you know, very pretty faithfully to Frollo's character, and that's a, ooh, that's that's quite heavy for a kids movie, (laughs) or what's or what's marketed as a kids movie, right? And you're just like, wow, okay. Again, it's it's a fantastic villain song because as a mature theme and everything, it tackles it very well. And I'm like, this, if this was another movie that was a musical, like at the same time, if this song was written, even combined with the Heaven's Light, if there was a like live action musical version of Hunchback of Notre Dame that was filmed and they put that in there for those characters, it would still fit. Yeah, where's this
0: live action movie?
1: What (laughs) the heck? Disney ain't going to touch that. They should. I don't know, man. I don't know. Mm. I mean, I'm a little, I I understand what you're saying. And I'm like, they could, but I think, I think they would ruin it because they'd make it too saccharine if they ever touched it. That's just my thought on it.
0: Well, I mean, there, there's the question of, you know, if they took a bold new direction, quote-unquote, with it. But, I mean, this this is just, like, the perfect movie to have in live action.
1: All, they, all I gotta say is they'd have to get the casting spot on. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm gonna have some issues. But, you know, that Frollo's on my list, because, again, it's like, it's it's a serious issue, and I'm not gonna sit there and say, Oh, the rescuers deals with real things while the furlough does not he's it's not represented at all with people like that. No, people have those feelings and inclinations. People suffer with that, and some act upon those feelings and inclinations wrongly. And it's uh yeah, I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying it's it's also real, but it's kind of a little more fanciful in the way they try to portray it, you know? And it's just but it's still like I would say the majority of the movie is still kind of dark. Like I said, if like the kids might not get it as much. Like I said, the opening scene shows him directly, but that song and that one piece in the middle just kind of almost out of nowhere, where it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, he's suffering from all this, and now uh, you're going to learn that. And people are just like, whoa.
0: Now that we're talking about it, it's kind of interesting, because Frollo's relationship with Quasimodo is actually very, very similar to... Mother Gothel's relationship to Rapunzel, when you think about it, because it's like you know, he <laughs> he's keeping he's keeping him hidden from the world, and really he's just there in his in Minister Frollo's mind. He's just there to get him into heaven, you know, give him eternal life, which is exactly what Mother Gothel's motivation is. She's keeping Rapunzel hidden away from the world, to, to, you know use her hair and sing the magic song and just live forever. I've never thought about that before, but they're the exact same. That's the exact same relationship.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, It's very manipulative and very controlling. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, that's before um the song out there that I just mentioned that Quasimodo gets to sing. That's kind of like his big standout solo piece. And I stand and I and I point out the voice of Quasimodo. I think I know the talking voice was Tom Holtz. I think he did the singing as well. To my knowledge, I'd have to see if anyone else said otherwise, but I believe he did the singing as well. And if he did, he's got a heck of a voice because he can hit that that last part there really well. And that song is great, but kind of like how Heaven's Light precedes Hellfire in the movie and like in soundtracks, which I'm glad the soundtracks include that part. It's uh, there's he has a song called, uh, well, I just said it, out there. But right before that, there's a little bit called like Stay in Here, where Frollo sings mm-hmm. to him and it's it's yep. kind of treated as one piece as well because it's the juxtaposition but Frollo tells him lines like you know out there you'll be reviled as a monster and Quasimodo like sings back I am a monster you know out there you'll be what was it like hated scorned and jeered why invite their and consternation stay in here away from there you know and all that stuff and he's just degrading and belittling him so bad and breaking him down and you're just like man so yeah, yeah and all the he, thing about his character is just bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's uh, you know it, it's interesting that neither of them, Rapunzel or Quasimodo, they're not in prison. They're they're both kept in the tower, but the thing that's really keeping them in there is the doubts and the uh, you know they're they're trapped in their own mind, accentuated so by the people that are manipulating them, and they're just stuck in their own. Doubts, fears, and all that implanted by their manipulators, which is very real to people today who've ever been in that kind of relationship and gotten out of it. I haven't. But I would assume (laughs) it's very real. I've known people who have, so.
1: Well, that is my second choice, would be uh, Claude Frollo, Archdeacon Frollo. Frollo. So what, what, what about you? What about your other choice? My next one, this is the
0: one I was very tickled to discover when I, you know, figured it out, when I was thinking about what villains to use. And with most of the villains, definitely all the villains that are going to come up on people's top ten Disney villains, as if you hadn't thought about that before. (laughs) But you always have a very clear image of what that person is. Like, even Mother Gothel, you can envision her because she's in there. You can see her. She has a voice and all of that. You know, they're always very charismatic not in a good way always but they're very characterized people entities this villain you do not see at all in the entire movie and you really don't even hear them and that is because my next villain is the villain of Bambi all right you mm-hmm. the villains in this movie are are the hunters you never see the hunters they don't say anything the only way you know the hunters are there is because you hear a loud bang, and then something dies.
1: To be fair, if I may point out, too, it's also because they're responsible for the fire near the end of the film.
0: Yeah. They didn't
1: properly put out the campfire or something like that. I think that was shown. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also, yeah, like the the villain, man. Just like history.
0: (laughs) And and it's kind of fun, too, because you got to think, like, if you're a deer, if you get shot, there's a good chance you did not see the hunter. That's just kind of how it goes.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, If I may as well, I learned by bonus features years ago, like watching some documentary stuff from Disney, that there was going to be a scene. They even had a storyboard where they were going to pan over after the forest fire scene near the end. And you were going to see like a tail end of a leg of a hunter dead from like a tree falling on him from burning like and then, you know, like burning the middle and falling on him. But they literally the people walked in and said, "Uh uh, no way you're showing that. Nope. Because they wanted to show some kind of slight vindication to say, like, well, look, somebody, like, you know, the villains are man, so man did suffer in some regard for this. There's, like, some karma, but they're like, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't getting away with showing that in a kid's film, nope. Yeah. So just interesting trivia for anyone out there. yeah. I mean, how, uh, it's
0: gotta be one of the saddest deaths of all time, Bambi's mother.
1: Oh, everyone, I think, just that, like you said, that scene is so good, even to this day, just the music. That just very chilling, like violins and strings, right? Keeping a tone. And then just Bambi's mother looks up in the run. Like what? Mm -hmm. Run. And just running. And don't look back. Don't stop. And that's it. No music. Silence for like five minutes. Running back. And everyone knows the whole, like, we made it. Mother. 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 Your mother can't be with you anymore. Come with me.
0: What a stud that guy was.
1: I know, Prince of the Forest. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Mm
0: Mhm. (laughs) Mhm. Your mother is dead. I wonder who that was.
1: I don't know. Yeah, look that up. I've got it pulled up right here. Let me see this. Had a heck of a voice. I'll say that. It's kind of like that Chad meme, though. Sadly, like the whole thing, like doesn't, like just barely gets shown to be his father. Comes back, comes in when she dies, leaves at the end. No explanation.
0: It's funny. I'm looking at this. uh, I'm looking at the IMDb page for Bambi. Most of these voices are uncredited. Uh, I guess it's just that old of a movie. I would say so. When did this come out? 1942.
1: 42, yeah. I was going to say, I believe, I was like, I think it came out in the 40s. So I was, I guess I was correct. It's not as, I thought it was like mid 40s or later 40s. No, forty two. Hey, I mean, it's a old film there.
0: It's right though, It doesn't make me feel old because I knew it was an old movie. So that's okay. It's just
1: true. But it's still just like, wow, man, that long ago?
0: And this is one of the movies where I know we mentioned on an earlier podcasts where Disney animators uh, often used a bunch of old panels because the way they animated back then, they would paint pictures on glass panes in, um,
1: yeah, in plastic.
0: Yeah, plastic. Plastic so sheaves. I
1: think it was called the Xerox process or something. I'm not sure. That might have been later. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember the thing. But yeah, like, yeah, they like the, the backgrounds are all like hand painted mm. and hand like done. And then they'd have the clear sheets and they transfer the drawings from the people who do the pads of paper. You see them draw a bunch of them and then like flip through them. They really did that to make sure, you know, the movements were good. Transfer all the final drawings, like had the people who finish them on the plastic. They put it in there, you know, takes the shot, pull it out, pull the one that's just slightly different, you know, all that work. It's you should, If anyone hasn't seen it, look up old processes because there were like people who recorded processes at the time to show like behind the scenes footage of stuff like that and you can find some scenes of that process it's it's quite fascinating to look cuz you can just realize these guys worked on this stuff for like you know probably you know over a year and over years to do a film it's fantastic
0: oh yeah well and and it's fun because if you're a fan of those old animations there there are a lot of pains that were reused from Bambi um i believe it was their very first animated movie which i think means it was their very was this disney's very first movie
1: no, 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 no. Before that, it was Snow White.
0: That's right. You're right.
1: Snow White was their very first like film as a Disney Animation Studios or something like that, or Walt Disney Studios. It also mm-hmm. was the first animated feature film in history. Right. Because it never was a cartoon, as they saw. Like They were just cartoons. There was never a cartoon that was the length of a whole film before.
0: Yeah, that being but said, this was, that was like one of the first...
1: I think it was in the, it was definitely in the first 10 because the second ever film was Pinocchio. Oh, it was so in So I first know it was sometime, yeah, it was like first five films, but it's definitely it's definitely it's definitely back away. It's there. Pinocchio
0: was in the 40s, wasn't?
1: Pinocchio was like 1940, I believe. Maybe it's the third film.
0: No, oh, it, it says right here. Pinocchio was in 2022.
1: Oh, I'm so wrong. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> if nobody knows there's like five Pinocchio movies out right now. Uh, that being said because it's one of the earliest movies and the same is true with snow white as well a lot of those panels are reused in subsequent movies because you know it takes a long time to draw and paint those scenes and so they recycle them and you get to if you look hard enough you'll notice similar patterns in other movies and there's videos on youtube of this you can look those up and it's it's really yeah. fun to watch Because it it is connected, copied movements. It's actually
1: kind of like in The Rescuers, like I was saying, that was uh, about after that movie and stuff and a little before there were films that used a lot of those things like because in that patch, they were also they were struggling. The studios were struggling. So they did reuse a lot of that in other films to just kind of get a movie out there. Mm-hmm. and and make like I mentioned I think a couple of episodes back how Disney's Robin Hood is one of my personal like it's, it's definitely like a guilty pleasure for me in that it's just one of my favorite animated ones and there's so many scenes in that that are copied from earlier films <laughs> and then used again like the base more like the animation skeleton just to put it where it was traced over and stuff used again mm-hmm. but it's like you can see it and it was definitely made to help save on the process and money because animation is a very expensive process Still to this day, that's why you don't see a lot of people doing it because you have to be, you kind of have to have a, a good financial backer to be successful at it.
0: Well, yeah, because, you know, one, just the money it takes to make it happen in the first place, but then how long the process takes to do that by hand. Because you can't just hire like a ton and ton of animators to do it because you need all the uh, drawings to have, you know, similarities to each other. They all have to be in the same style. So, you can only have a handful at best, I would think. I don't mm-hmm. know that. That's just my assumption.
1: I will say I can definitely talk at long length about Disney's like early days and a lot of stuff I learned because I love animation and I have like I read full books that just talk about the history of like animation and their studios and other studios around the world. But we won't rabbit trail too much there. I'll, I'll just pull us back and say Bambi, man.
0: Yeah. Well, I did want to mention too. We talked about chilling scenes earlier and. In- The most, uh, what would you call it, tangible villain in this movie, apart from perhaps the fire, is the dogs that the hunter sent after the deer. And those are some scary dogs, bro.
1: If I remember correctly, weren't they actually mostly done like somewhat more featureless? Like they were mostly done in Shadow? Uh, kinda. cause it was like a scene did with you... like the light of the fire is highlighting the shadow of the deers, like the two deer fighting off the dogs and the dogs are kind of just highlighted in like mostly black shapes. Cause like it's them? nighttime, something it, like that. It, I'd, it have to, I'd have to, I'd have to look it up again, but I remember there are certain, I think there are certain scenes that did that, but yeah, no, you're right. Those things, when they come charging in just full teeth, bared and everything, you're just like, nah. Oh yeah, <laughs> honestly, There's some scary looking dogs. Yeah, you sit there like eh. you look over at your dog on the couch. You just like pan over and be like, "You're okay though, right?"
0: Don't you dare!
1: <laughs> just like you're good, right? You're good. I fed you. Remember that?
0: Yes, I saw this meme going around where it was like, uh, "I'm just waiting for the day that my dog realizes I have 206 bones in my body."
1: <laughs> I've never seen that. That's a good one. But yeah, no, that those dogs, man, yeah.
0: Yeah, but anyways, Bambi, uh, the Hunters are my sub-submission uh, for the, one of the top villains, because it really is when you think about it. It's, but you just never see them, which just adds to their
1: uh, scariness. I never actually thought about that, but you're right, yeah, like, you never really see them. It's like you just know about them. In fact, in a way, the villains are kind of characterized, like I said, by the music that plays. Mm-hmm. Like when oh, that yeah. certain, I think it's, um, if I remember how it goes, it was something like the, a bunch of strings looks like kind of coming with like this, mm-hmm. da da da, da da da. it just plays like that over and over this. And you get this, it kind of just grows and grows and it, and it, whenever they're on, that's the same, like three notes that play with a bunch of string section. And you're just like, you feel it. It's palpable. Mm-hmm. The fear, the terror that it strikes in the heart of these creatures, you know, the deer, the birds, anything anything that's huntable by them they're just like you know you feel it
0: yeah that's something that doesn't get played up enough i think in modern movies where you just let the the environment set the tension i don't know it just seems like movies don't want to take the time to do that nowadays i don't know but i mean that movie definitely did it well uh, where it's just like nothing's moving you're just you realize you're just alone in the forest and you hear the Or
1: the yeah. middle of a
0: field. Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, that's the that's the danger that they have to take to survive even. So that's kind of like you feel it and you kind of understand in a way you're just like, eh. yeah, you get the goosebumps every time, you know?
0: Yeah, because that, that was a scary scene in there, too, where, you know, Bambi's mother is taking him to a open meadow, uh, which, you know, has all yeah, the grass yeah. and whatnot. And it's scary at first because she's going to check it out, and you're like, "Is something there? Is something gonna get her?" I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because that she's I remember scared. that I'm to
1: scared. this. I remember that to this day because it's been years since I've seen that. But there are scenes I still remember, cause like he's about to charge because he goes, "Oh, the meadow." And she goes, "Never rush out into the meadow. Never just run out there. Always carefully enter mm-hmm. and know where the exit is." And you're just like, "Oh, okay." Yep. It, I I a good choice there interesting choice I, would, I, I compliment you on that because it's just like very well done without ever showing your villain like you don't always have to show
0: yeah I was very happy when I thought of it because I, I'd never heard anyone else mention it but I think it, it definitely deserves to be up there
1: I will say I don't think anyone's mentioned it in the regard as if how you're bringing it up because if I've ever heard it mentioned it's all this big commentary and then I hear like a two hour sermon about how we're truly evil and bad things and I'm like dude I know this <laughs> Why are you telling me this? <laughs> I've read yeah. history. I know. I mean, I, I'm not a vegan. I can still like the movie. It don't even have to be that. I'm just talking about human history. You just read history and be like, these men are dangerous. Yeah, that's pretty much history summed up. Yeah, yeah, we're humans. Yep, yeah, pretty much.
0: What you got for me?
1: Okay, well. You know, one, I, I kind of pulled this one off because of recently I kind of was actually uh, I heard this some songs from this movie pop up and I just like, oh, you know what? This was actually an enjoyable film. Like I, I really liked listening to it and listening to the soundtrack and watching this film when it came out. And uh, it was kind of a I don't know I I don't was also very intrigued by the film when it came out because it was uh, another hand drawn animated film by Disney after a few of, you know, the, it hadn't been doing well. And they had done some more CG films before that. They had, I think at that time, you know, acquired Pixar a few, uh, only a few years previously. So they were doing Pixar CG films and then they were doing some CG animated films. And this was another one that was done back in the style of like, oh, you know, let's go back with a hand drawn because that style can still be popular. I'm pretty sure it can still be, you know, uh, to show that it's still a good marketable style. I
0: really miss that style of animation. I know you do, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are he's... some
1: people that still do it. Like, you can find some studios. It's just, again, like, hand drawn is, I think, the most expensive kind. Right. Because with computers and everything, you expedite all the processes much faster. Mm-hmm. It, I've, it still can be beautiful and it still can be creative. I'm not saying it's soulless at all. I mean, sometimes it's soulless. It depends on the corporation itself and whatever. But it's like, there are people that are still so creative with their CG animation and it looks great. But I do love hand drawn more. And that's, and I kind of like stop motion even more because I'm like, that's, the most basic of there's an actual tangible 3d object right here in front of me and it's only about a foot tall but on the screen you know we can make it look like you know it's 20 feet tall Mm -hmm. and you know someone actually moved every little bit and like took a shot every little bit and i love that but yeah i'm like hand-drawn is always to me the the king of it but this film was uh they went back to hand-drawn and they would two years later they did their last ever hand-drawn film and they have not gone back to hand-drawn since i believe because they made the big change to go to CG. But I'm talking about 2009's The Princess and the Frog. So I know some people, I will will say, some people still have a fault with some of the representations in this film, because Disney tried to, you know, show what it's like and tried to be more faithful to, you know, the, the Black culture, their history, heritage, and such, especially those that are in New Orleans. And I know some people argue the points about whether it's, accurate or not and what parts they did like good and what parts they they kind of loved up on and such
0: What was the complaint? I actually haven't heard anything about
1: that Uh, I've heard a few things just saying like some people they mixed up voodoo and hoodoo which is actually two different like beliefs for one thing all right we ticked off. but i i don't i don't know about either so i can't <laughs> say what i know they they messed up i just did hear some people say they actually did mess up they said this one deals more with like magic and belief this one's actually more of a like lifestyle thing but i'm like okay well okay i don't then, of know anything of course... about
0: it but it sounds like people complaining who don't actually have anything to do with that subject matter that's just my take
1: possibly possibly I won't say further like again I'm not going to come and say well I see what they did because I don't know I just what I've heard you know and of course with the movie with that you got your trolls that always do something and stir up controversy anyway so but as a film I remember watching it again a hand-drawn animation is beautiful to me and Mm. it's very great they're characterized well it's it's well done I think it's a fair film like or I wouldn't just say fair I'd say it's a good one it's just not like a masterpiece for Disney and I'm like it's good it's got a lot of good characterization. It's like really fun characters. A lot of good songs, I think. But I'm like, uh, you know, and you've got some good talent in there. So like, you know, uh, I will shout out because I will say a lot of the songs that were sung were very catchy, but I want to see if I hopefully I get this name right. Annika or Anika Noni Rose, who was the voice of Tiana. Great voice. Great voice. Her songs in there that she sings with like a lot of the characters. Love them. But everyone probably knows where I'm going with this when I mentioned uh, villains. And there's a character voiced by Keith David, who I gotta say is also I've I loved Keith David for years, uh, because of his voice acting work. And he's got such a cool, like suave, epic voice. And he's even done film work in like a lot of eighties and other films I know, like live action roles. But this film, I learned that he could sing. And brother, let me tell you, he can sing. Mm-hmm. And he was Doctor Facilier. And he had a really good villain song with the whole Friends on the other side. And that's just, you know, real chill. But he, to me, is on the other side of the villain thing where this is another good villain, as in you don't need a deep motivation. Yeah, Like, he doesn't <laughs> have a tortured backstory. He doesn't have, like, you know, a a real beef with, like, anyone in particular. Like, he does explain it later that he's, like, he's tired of being on the bottom of the totem pole, scraping by to survive, you know, especially kind of with Roots in his community, saying, like, you know, well, we've always been you know, I've, like, you know, I've never made it, and I just want power, wealth, fame, all that stuff that's on the other side. He's like, like the other half lives. That's all he wants. So when the opportunity comes across him with Prince Naveen and his butler and all that, he takes it.
0: Yeah, it and is that's, kind that's of it. a uh, a funny thing. Not funny, but I've always kind of pushed back against the idea that, oh, villains, uh, they need to be... You know, five-dimensional, and you need an incredible backstory for your villain, and oh, I didn't like this movie because the villain didn't have enough time. And that is true in some movies, there is such a thing as having a weak villain, but you don't need your villain to be your secondary main character, right? Draco Malfoy was not a, a main character in Harry in the early Harry Potter movies. Bambi, you'd never even see the villains still a great villain you you don't need a deep psychological understanding to to make a good antagonist you just don't it's great when you do have it and it certainly helps out if if you do it well but you you don't you don't need it
1: exactly that's one thing i like about this one because it's like it is a little more lighthearted and i'm like you know again he's got a good enough motivation in fact, he kind of is just introduced, like, right when he does his song, basically. Like, you only kind of see him a little beforehand, walking around the town, kind of spying around on people. And you get the vibe that he's kind of a seedy, oily guy anyway, right? You know? Mm-hmm. The terms being, like, he, he's very, like, he's he's uh, focused on his own well-being. And he's seeing if there's any saps out there, any suckers, he can do one over. And then when he comes across a guy who's actually loaded with royalty, he knows, like, he's like, this is my chance. I can take this. This might be my way. And his own motivation is just, like I said, to kind of basically pull himself out of whatever hole he's in. And again, like the hole he's in is not even based in like some kind of like, well, oh, you see, I was cheated out of my fortune when I was but a child and I've been striving to get back. No, he's just like, I just want, I want the power. Like I'll take wealth and power
2: and I'll, I'll power. use,
1: and I'll use like, you know, this, I'll even use black magic to get it, you know, voodoo and hoodoo ways to do it. And again, like his song is so great because it's got that just like swing vibe to it, right? and like Mm -hmm. i love that song and the whole process of like how the the crux of the story is kind of done in that song where it's like oh yeah uh, he transforms him into a frog where it's kind of kind of of funny because it's like couldn't he just like kidnap him then or kill him but it's like no i mean it's explained later he used that trinket that he uses to like make the other guy look like the prince to get the fortune and stuff later they they kind of cook up the scheme together and he needs his blood so he's, he keeps him nearby because he needs his blood for that thing because it actually will like drain over time and he has to keep like getting a drop every time something like that. But yeah, it's like I mean it, it's like the motivations and stuff are still there. It's like like you said and like we mentioned I even read about this earlier this week about this guy and I was just like I agreed with that a sentiment where it's like yeah, you don't need some huge overarching goal. They don't need this imposing backstory that haunts them since they were children. They don't need any of that. Like he can just be like I want wealth and power, like, and I will go to means to achieve it. This is my chance; I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. And he can be suave as hell while doing it too.
0: Yeah, th- this movie is recent enough where um, uh, it's 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 been going around on the social media reels and clips lately where people just use the voiceover of him going, "Oh, do you shake a paw in his hand?" Because he does have that, like you said, very suave, deep, charismatic voice to him. And, uh, yeah, it's been popping up a lot on those
1: clips. Yeah, like I said, that that's Keith David for you, man. He's just got such a cool voice. And he's <clears> done voice work for years, too. So if many people out there go, I don't think I've heard him, I'll be like, uh, you look up his voice work. You probably heard him in something. I know he was a character in, like, Teen Titans. I can just name off the top of my head. He was in an episode. He was in, I mean, a bunch of stuff. Like a lot of early Disney shows. Uh, just a lot of voice work, man, a lot of voice work. I think you've heard his voice. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, like I said, to me, I heard his voice definitely. And I think I know you, Sean, would know, too, that I'm also I have a lot of to me that I treat them as celebrities, like voice actors that I love on the same par that some people would like look at a triple A celebrity, like live action actor and be like, you know, oh, man, so and so, so and so. I'll be like, so and so he was the voice of so and so in, you know, 1991 to 1993 Mm. (laughs) and everything. I'll freak out over that. And to me, like Keith David was that till I learned he was also just an actor in, in other like earlier films and stuff. And I was like, oh man, and then then I learned he could sing. And I'm just like, man, he's got a heck of a voice. He sounds yep. good. And he's just got a fun song too. So yeah, I would say my, my last choice is like talk to Facilier. You don't need a massive, huge, imposing story for that. If you just write them well and still have someone like that, it works.
0: Yep, I agree
1: what what about you you got you got one more on you
0: yeah my last one is and i'm i'm kind of passing someone over this is one of the people that is on everyone's top 10 villain list certainly top 10 villain song list scar and be prepared everyone knows him everyone loves him definitely in the top he deserves to be there i'm actually going to jump and go to lion king 2 and i know we talked about this earlier and we both love Zero the villain of Lion King 2 she is a great villain very underrated I think uh, possibly due to the fact that not as many people have seen Lion King 2 as the first movie great villain great song that she has my lullaby beautiful beautifully sung beautifully choreographed all of that I just love that movie I love that villain. She's great in it. She's a uh, uh, Scar's. Oh, I don't know if they say like the word wife, but
1: I think she was like his old mate or something. Yeah, it, it was like shown. I think in some like novelizations later or something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, her her and Scar had a son named Kovu, who's uh, one of the main characters of that movie. He goes through his own progression. Uh, but yeah, the song is great. My Lullaby, it's one of my favorite songs. I'd put it I, I'd put it up there next to Be Prepared. Probably give Be Prepared
1: the edge, but still. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's like Jeremy Irons is the voice of Scar, right? So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, it, that just just kind of eats it a bit to <laughs> me, you know, because you already got him doing his whole really, really reveling in it, using his voice to its full degree, <laughs> you know, for the song. Oh, but yeah. yeah, I'd agree. My Lullaby is one of those ones, but yes, and then Jim Cummings went uh. Jeremy Irons threw out his voice yelling that one line. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but in the song Be Prepared, there's that slant line when he talks about, um, although though I'm the main addressee, the point that I must emphasize is, and then he jumps down and goes like, you won't get a sniff without me! When he yelled that line, he actually threw out his voice. <laughs> so that's why Jim Cummings had to do dub over, like, the last quarter of the song. Mm. Past that point, you can actually kind of hear it when it changes, but yeah, I'm just saying that's a funny tribute. I am mean, yelling. apparently Jeremy Irons yelled so forcefully that he actually, like, hurt his throat. Hey, dedication to the craft. I'll give him credit.
0: Oh, yeah. And if uh, if no one had written that down and told people, never would have known it.
1: I know. It's like, it's pretty close, to be fair, because it actually just sounds like after that moment, it still fits. Like, if no one had said it, you still would believe, oh, he's still just singing. It just at this point, he's, you know, he yelled it. So, of course, now he's more a little more manic, because he's like, yes, this is the plan. We're going to do this. Is going to happen. And it's like, yeah, okay, makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, yeah, it's, I agree with you, though. That is like one of the ones to me that I was like, I'm surprised I don't see this like movie and and Zira on a lot of villain lists because I'm like her song to me is, again, that line of like, you got to be real, like pushing a, a actual dark motivation to kind of lighthearted song. And it's it's perfectly summed up about her character to me because the song is like she sings to Kovu when he's young, like my lullaby, and then because she, she's actually trying to get him to sleep. But she talks about what her lullaby is. It includes Simba's death, hearing his mate crying over his death, and the other lioness is crying over the leader, you know, the slaughtering of the prize. All these things are discussed in that song. Mm. And then she keeps concluding it with the line, like, you know, that's my lullaby. And you're just like, well, dang. Yeah, and she
0: does have a bit of a, a sympathetic backstory for as villainous as she is. You know, I I don't think you come out of that movie thinking she's a great character or like she was misunderstood, but she does have a, a, a decent sympathetic backstory. Like she was Scar's mate and then Simba took over and you don't see it in that movie, but a lot of people get banished when they sided with Scar, you know, and no, keeping in line with the Shakespearean motif, she has heir apparent to uh, scar's throne which is his son govu
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they get shoved out of the pride lands
1: yeah they're called like what the outsiders or something like that in yeah. the movie and also what's interesting is that the first movie a lot of people don't get this which is funny to me but a lot of people do is that the first movie the lion king the original it really is just kind of a, a adaptation of hamlet for, for anyone that's familiar with the story Main king deposed, un- brother takes over, uncle kicks out nephew, nephew comes back to avenge. Although in this case Hamlet doesn't die in the end, you know Simba wins and all that, but they change it a bit. But while that one actually takes off the story in the play of Hamlet, the sequel kind of is more like Romeo and Juliet.
0: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, not not even a little bit, a lot of bit.
1: I mean, yeah, two rival families. They're both their heirs fall for each other, and again a little more hopeful because that they don't they don't die and then, and then you but, have
0: Lion King, One and a Half, which is much to do about nothing. And
1: I tell you, and people gave nothing to do about that movie. <laughs> I remember enjoying it. I don't remember anything about it, and i I don't even know if that film technically counts as much to do about nothing because I like much to do about nothing. There's actually a really brilliant adaptation done by Kenneth brownhog. and i I don't know. I feel a little offended that you'd try to compare it that to that.
0: I actually love that movie. Hmm. Yeah, that was more in name only, simply <laughs> yeah. playing off the fact that no one remembers it. I don't even <laughs> remember what it's about. And it's not really it, it's, a sequel.
1: It's it literally, I think it half. was like, didn't it even go direct to video? So it wasn't even meant to be a like. <laughs> release, I'm pretty sure so. it did. I'm, I'm fairly certain
0: it never had a theatrical release. Yeah. It was, just it, meant it, it to was be
1: kind of a, just meant to fill in and get some cash grab. So, I mean. Yeah, it was
0: just like a little bonus material.
1: Basically an excuse to give you Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella back. So Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Lion King 2 is definitely a guilty pleasure for me. Because I kind of enjoy it just slightly more than the original film. Ooh. And and not like not a lot. I mean slightly. Because I'm like, again, I I told you earlier, but I'll tell the listeners here, I didn't watch Lion King till I was in my twenties. Same for the sequel. Because I didn't really watch it as a kid. Uh, I had uh, my parents were concerned if I couldn't understand the spiritual aspects of him seeing his father's spirit on the sky and some of the darker elements. I just, and you know what, honestly, I was okay with that as a kid. Like I heard enough about it. Then I was just like, Oh, well, I mean, sounds fun enough, I guess. I don't know. So I just went without watching. It wasn't really a huge priority for me. And then I watched back, then I went back and watched it years. Of course, after it's out and I go, huh, okay, man, that was their biggest film at the time. I mean, I, I guess so. I guess he had to be there and watch it at the time. But yeah, yeah. I'm just like, and then I watch the sequel, and I'm like, I kind of like the sequel. I was like, I mean, just, I do like it. I do enjoy it. And yeah, Zero's a great uh, villainess there with uh, her own backstory, interesting, like, characterization, great villain song, and I'm surprised I don't hear that villain song mentioned. So yeah, I'm like, man.
0: Yeah, she definitely deserves more credit than she gets. Because I've I, never heard anyone who's seen that movie never heard anyone talk bad about it it's just i don't think a lot of people actually saw it and maybe it's because like you i watched it a bit a little later in life maybe i just missed when it came out that's definitely possible but yeah
1: yes and i would like to point out the actress who played her it was a suzanne plachette known for a lot of like tv and film roles in her time and she did sadly pass away in 2008 But she did a great job with that uh, role. I think just kind of like was the perfect choice for it when you hear about backstory, motivation, all that stuff for her, and then you hear her voice it. I think Mm -hmm. it fit very well.
0: Not to mention Matthew Broderick.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, he's coming back from the first movie, so. Yeah, still. Yes, yes. I mean, most everyone actually came back from the first movie, which is really funny to me. If you look at the cast list, you see a bunch of like the same people. So even as like a considered a cheaper sequel, they're still mostly here.
0: Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at the cast list and it has James Earl Jones. Was Mufasa
1: in this movie somewhere? I don't remember. His spirit again, I believe. Okay. Just the cloud version. But yeah, as to I say, I mean, different things. It's just, you know, interesting, you know? But yeah, I I'd like the movie too and, and I do really enjoy the, uh, the song for her and I think she's a great villain. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well... Let us know. I I believe we are going to do another villains episode for our next show. Not just Disney. I I think this is going to encompass like basically all live action movies. Is that right?
1: Like any that stood out to us, I would say, you know, kind of like we'll pick three or four again, something like that. Just kind of talk about maybe ones we remember, like maybe we were young, maybe we were older, maybe we watched it only once. And you just like, I'm never forgetting that villain. Oh, boy. You know, Are but, we you know, going to have to exclude?
0: Things. I'm wondering if we have to like exclude a couple of ones that just you know, Darth Vader type characters.
1: I mean, if you want to mention them, maybe. But I mean, like if if everyone's widely familiar with them and stuff, I'm 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 gonna try to aim for a little more obscure or maybe something not as much there. But we'll see.
0: Right. Keep that in mind. We know Darth Vader's out there. Like we know Scars out there. Obviously, top tier Disney villain. We're just—we're gonna try to bring up—we're gonna—we're gonna bring our own flair to it, although I'm not sure if you could call what we have flair, but we will bring something.
1: Maflaria. Maflaria. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we bring. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, that works. I love that.
1: Yes, that's it. That's what we bring to the table, folks.
0: Um, so we do have an
1: email, correct? What's our we email? We do. Uh, should be videovox00, that is V-I-D-E-O-V-O-X-00 at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, so use that, uh, send in, especially if you have a villain that you think does not get the recognition they deserve. Maybe it's kind of a movie off the beaten path. Let us know, send us in your favorite or whatever one you think is most underrated.
2: Yeah. Any,
0: any topic ideas you think we should talk about? Obviously us, we're not... We're not always going to do the most mainstream stuff. You know, we're not just talking about the movies that are just coming out. We're going to go back into our archives, pick out our favorites and stuff like that.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, if you maybe agree with our choices or just think about another one like that to add to it, please let us know. We'll definitely, if we get enough feedback from people, we'll definitely, like, you know, make some feedback-centric episodes where we don't, we won't really talk about topics, but we'll, whatever was sent in to us, you know? We want to hear back from y'all.
0: There are no bad takes here, folks. I mean, there are, but we still talk about them.
1: (laughs) I mean, yes, yes. We will call you out, but I mean, yes.
0: We will roast you, but we will allow you to give your bad opinion. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it for us today. Hope you enjoyed. I know I enjoyed talking about it.
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely fun.
0: So we will see y'all next time. Stay classy. Keep that meffleria going and uh, that'll be it for us here at Videotic. My name is Sean,
1: and my name is Joe.
0: y'all have a great week.
1: bye 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 bye